You know, last, um, last Sunday, for those of you that are here or if you weren't here, please listen to it on the podcast, watch it on, on YouTube, catch up with us. That would be amazing. Um, we, we, we're looking at a question every week. The question last week was, how, how can we overcome when life seems to overwhelm? Okay, when life is overwhelming us, what attitude can, can we have control of? And we looked at the attitude of resilience and we looked at the Apostle Paul, who in this book that we're looking at, Philippians chapter one, he's chained to a Roman soldier. Uh, and yet he said, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel and encourage other people. That's incredible resilience. This thing that threatens to overwhelm me actually is, is, is bringing glory to God and it's encouraging other people. You don't do that unless you've got resilience. But the question that I want to look at this morning is a little bit of a different tangent and the question is, how can we find meaning and purpose in life beyond ourselves? And um, this was stimulated a little bit in my thinking a few weeks ago, okay? I was in the car, and I'm driving along in the car, listening to Radio 5 Live, because I'm living the dream. And, um, uh, and as I'm listening to this, uh, ad, this kind of conversation, there was someone brought in as an expert, and she was talking about her teaching, okay, which she's bringing to everybody. And basically her teaching, in a nutshell, was this. We need to rediscover the power of narcissism. Narcissism is, the, is, is focusing and fixating on yourself. She says, the problem is, she says, it's great doing things for other people, but if they don't give you anything back, if they're not grateful, if they're not thankful, cut it off. Because you are far too special, far too precious, far too, you know, just too absolutely awesome to be giving yourselves for others when actually you need to, I nearly crashed the car. I had a moment of road rage where I was listening to this stuff thinking, what? What is our culture coming to when we're actually advocating narcissism? Now, let me just quantify or, or clarify that. I'm not saying, in what I'm going to say this morning, that we shouldn't look after ourselves. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have healthy boundaries. I'm not saying that we should burn out. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have the occasional me time, okay, whatever that is. But what I am wanting to challenge, I believe from the Word of God, is this cultural view that our life, that we will find meaning and purpose when we find ourselves. It ain't going to happen. You will never find real meaning and purpose in and of yourself. That's not how we're created to be. And what I want to suggest is that if we could relentlessly pursue the welfare of others, maybe we would find meaning and purpose for ourselves. What might our marriages look like if we were more concerned with what the other person was needing rather than what we were getting? What might our workplaces look like if when we went into our office tomorrow, our first question was, how can I help you? How can I serve you? How might that transform our workplaces? What might our communities or our nation look like if we were focused on the well-being of others in front of the well-being of ourselves? And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul, chained to this Roman soldier, begins to open up this whole idea. So I'm going to break this down into three bits and we're going to travel quite quickly through this and then hopefully we're going to apply it. So firstly, Paul makes a plea right at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1. And he says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in, say it out loud, and here's the attitude. Rather in humility, 
Value others above yourselves. That's so countercultural. You know that, don't you? Because you deserve it, because you're worth it. You see, that's so countercultural. Not looking to your own interests, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That is so countercultural. And Paul makes a plea. And do you notice that there's a little word that crops up time and time again at the beginning of this chapter? Do you know what it is? It's the word if. If you read it again, it says like, like, if you have any encouragement, if any comfort, if any, any compassion, if, any, if you found anything in God, if you received anything from God, then give it. Give it to others. If you've got anything, give it. That's basically what he's saying. What if? What if? And he's saying, and do it with an attitude of humility. Now, humility is really hard to define. The, the German writer Goethe, he said, the great failing in us is to see ourselves as more than we are and to value ourselves as less than our true worth. Humility is really hard to define. It's not thinking more of yourself and it's not thinking less of yourself. It's getting an accurate view of who you are. But he makes a plea and then he paints a picture. And here, here we go. Uh, and this is Beautiful writing. You must have the same attitude, here's that word, that Christ Jesus had. So he's going to paint a picture for us of this attitude in action. Though he was God, so he was the man, yeah? So he was all powerful. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names. I believe that's one of the most beautiful bits of writing in all of literature, let alone the Bible. It's this beautiful picture of Christ who was God. So it's like at the, at the top and yet humbled himself to the very bottom. It's like a V right to the bottom even obedience to death on a cross. And then God took him and elevated him to the highest place. It's this beautiful V, which is an upside, upside down V. Because for us, we start here and we want to reach up here, don't we? But God, Jesus was up here and said, no, I'm not going to reach up, I'm going to go down. And then God elevated him. It's beautiful language. But to understand it, we have to understand a little bit of the original language. Not so that I can show you how clever I am in my humility, okay? Because I'm not. But, but because it's important to understand it. So did Jesus, did he kind of like say, do you know what, today I'm going to be humble. Is that how Jesus was or was it deeper than that? In verse 6, the word that's used for who in very nature was God, okay, um, is not a common word. It means essence that cannot be changed. It means he doesn't switch it on or off. It's who he is. And some, some of the words in verse 6 or 7, the word for position or in some translations, nature, the word for form, there's two Greek words, morphe and schema. Morphe means constant, it never changes. Schema means it changes from time to time. I'll give you an example. You are sitting next to this morning a human being. Can you check that out? Make sure you are, yeah? So, so, so that, 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 that is morpha, okay? They're a human being. They will always be a human being, okay? That's morphe. But schema is they can change over circumstances. In other words, a baby is a, becomes a toddler, becomes a child, becomes a teenager, an adult, an older adult. Makes sense? Flower, that's morphe. All flowers are a flower, but you have different kind of forms and natures. You have poppies and lilies and roses and all that. 
You understand? The word that Paul uses here is deliberate. He doesn't use the, the uh, schema, the changeable word. He uses the word morpha. In other words, Jesus was and always is humble. He's always a servant. That's who he is. That's his nature. He's not like one minute he's Clark Kent and the next minute he's Superman. So now he's this and that. No, his very nature, this is who God is. Oh, I just think this is so amazing. God is the one who gives himself for us. Don't you think that's mind-blowing? Yes, he's all God and he's all powerful, but his very nature is to be a servant God. And so humility is not an act or a switch, but it's an attitude of heart, mind, and action. What if? What if we live like this? And then Paul then gives a promise. You know, if you can live like this, guys, this is what will happen in verse 14. Do everything, it says, without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You will change the world if you live this humility out. If you consider others instead of yourself, you'll change the world. We all want to change the world. There's something deep inside of us that wants to change the world. And, and often people will, will get, you get you all stoked up. You can go out and change the world. Here's the thought. You'll go out and change the world when you exercise and live out humility. That's countercultural, isn't it? But I say, actually, if I put others before me, maybe I'll change the world. Uh, in the message translation, it says, th these verses say, go out into all the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid, and polluted society. Just love that. But you know, humility has an enemy. Ego is the enemy. We all have ego, don't we? Ego is an unhealthy belief in our own importance. Impressing people is utterly different from being impressive. We live in a world and a culture that wants to impress people. And so on our social media platforms, how amazing am I? How awesome is my life? How impressed are you? And that's the way that we all operate, myself included, and we put all that stuff out to impress people. That is not the same as being impressive. That's ego. And our culture really feeds ego, which is the enemy of humility. Ego fights against us at every term. When ego is in control, we can't hear feedback. You know, you know, people who love us tell us the truth, but we can't hear it because our ego is in the way. <laughs> ego thinks embarrassment and failure are more than they are. Someone once said, almost, almost always your road to victory goes through a town called failure. And listen, if you failed or messed up, it'll be ego that tells you that that's bigger than it is. But you know, when, when, you, when you let ego go down and humility come, you say, hey, I failed and I messed up, but that's okay. It doesn't change who I am. It just means I get to learn and grow. That's humility. But ego is, oh, I failed and I messed up and I'm such a terrible person. That's ego. That's ego. Ego tells us that meaning comes from activity, that being the center of attention is the only way to matter. You know, I, I, I really do, and, and I don't mean this patronizing anyway, because I know that I'm more of an extrovert than an introvert, but I do really feel for half of the population of the planet who are introverts, because the world belongs to extroverts. The kind of people that we all aspire to want to be are often extroverts. And yet more, almost, almost half of the world's population are introverts. But it's ego that tells us that being an extrovert and being the centre of attention is where you're going to get meaning. That's ego. That's not anything other than that. Ego also tells us that we can't be vulnerable and receive help. That we've got it all under control. I'll open that up a little bit more later. 
So what I want to do this morning in the time that I've got is I want to give you five marks of humility, okay? And then I want to just to explore a little bit how we could apply this to our lives. And if you're a Christian, this has got to speak into your life. If you're not, I really hope that this opens up a window for you into what Christianity is meant to be. We've not always got it right. Do not judge the maker on the product, on us, okay? Don't judge God on how we have often let it down because that's not accurate at all. So let me give you the first mark of humility is you know who you are. That's about identity. Uh, and in, the, in Philippians chapter one, Paul kicks off the letter by saying, I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. He knows exactly who he is. Now, yes, he is subject to Nero, to the emperor, but he actually belongs He's a servant of Christ Jesus. And the word he uses for servant is, is a really important word called doulos. And, and it means bond servant. It comes from the Old Testament when, when you were in slavery uh, and your master set you free. If you loved your master so much, even though you had your freedom, you chose to want to go back and say, hey, I know I can go free, but I don't want to. I actually want to become your servant and I want to serve you. And then they take your ear and they would ear pierce it um, to the door as a sign that you were, and then you pulled your ear off and got on and lived your life and served him. That's what Paul says. He says, I can go free, but, but in my freedom, I choose to be a servant of Christ Jesus. I know who I am. Identity is so, so important. You see, when God looks at the center of the universe, he doesn't see you. Sorry. He doesn't see me either. He sees his son, doesn't he? And everything and everyone else revolves around that. And you see, self-centered life places me in the center, and then when that happens, I'm in real trouble. Now, now let me say something which has come as revelation to me. Pride, we often know who are proud people because they brag a lot. Pride is not so much about bragging. Pride is the illusion that I am the center of the universe and I don't need help. And so you may not be a bragging person, that doesn't mean you don't have pride. Pride is the illusion that I'm the center of the universe and actually I don't need any help. That's why kind of self-help groups like AA and NA and things are so important, I think, because they remind constantly that there's a higher being and that I need help. And, that, and that's actually really good, I think, in terms of our sense of humility. Humility is, see, so very insecure people who never brag can still have a lot of pride. Humility is not self-deprecating. It's not speaking down of yourself. It's living in the truth that we have needs. There are things we can't control and we need to be dependent on God. So what I wanna do is I wanna ask you to interact a little bit. And I want, if you don't know the person's name next to you, find out their name and then I want, to, I want you to say this. Hey, your name is so-and-so and you're not God. Could you just do that for me for a minute? This was fascinating with husbands and wives at the first service, it really was. All right, that shouldn't have taken that long. <laughs> Which obviously means that some of you say, I'm sorry, I think I am. Uh, uh, so it was very interesting with a few husbands and wives as well at the first service. It's, I heard this years ago, which I love this. The difference between you and God is God doesn't think he's you. And I wonder how many of us actually, even though we never say it, of course I don't think I'm God. Do we live like that? So how are you at taking help? How are you at receiving it? How are you at admitting there's stuff wrong in your life? How are you at coping with failure? Those are indicators of whether actually you've got humility or whether ego is alive and at work in you and in me. Number two, you have nothing to prove. It's a great sense of humility. You have nothing to prove. Muhammad Ali said, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. 
but, but when you've got nothing to prove, the greatest freedom is having nothing to prove. And um, many of you know that we, we sent a team to South Africa recently. My wife led it and they came back. And when we first got involved in Africa many years ago, uh, um, uh, I led our first team to Zambia. And then we went for 10 years or so to, to that beautiful, amazing country. So I led the first team and then I backed out and other people led the team. So I'd been there and got to know the people and blah, blah, blah. Then on the second year that the second team went out, I wasn't on that trip. They came back and they said, oh, they still talk about you out there. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> is what's going through my head, okay? Humble that I am. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting, trying to maintain coolness and be humble. And we're, oh, no, they still talk about you a lot there. So, in fact, you made such an impact that they named something after you. Probably a street, I'm thinking. Maybe a town, maybe a building. Do you know what it was? A stray dog. Seriously, a stray, flea-bitten, one-eared dog that was on the, in this community is now called Pastor Leon, okay? God, God has a way of just bringing you back down and saying, you ain't all that, mate. You ain't all that. And at the center of the universe is not you, but me. And, and humility is when you think, I have nothing to prove. God, you've given me everything. Who I am is in relationship to who you are. And what you've done in my life, I have nothing to prove. Thirdly, you have eyes for others, not just for yourself. When you walk into a room, is your attitude, here I am, or is your attitude, there you are? You know, I'm staggered. I'm absolutely staggered by how many people <laughs> don't ever ask me a single question. And I'm sure you are as well. Even friends sometimes, you can go out for a whole night and they never ask you a single question about anything. I, I, and you just think to yourself, hello. Now, now, but actually, I want to be someone that doesn't just think, oh, you never asked me anything. I want to be someone that goes and says, there you are. But wouldn't it transform the world if all of us lived like that? Do you know what I mean? If all of us said, hey, not here I am, but there you are. How's your day been? And a lot of people do that, which is amazing. Um, two of our famous prime ministers, uh, Gladstone and Disraeli, Disraeli, were both incredibly intelligent people. And this is a Great old story, some people would have heard. And, um, but, but this lady was at a dinner with both of these prime ministers, the one that was and the one that is. I can't remember which was which, Gladstone and Disraeli. And afterwards, she tells this story. She says this, when I left the dining room after sitting next to Mr. Gladstone, I thought he was the cleverest man in England. But after sitting next to Mr. Disraeli, I thought I was the cleverest woman in England. Isn't that Interesting. You know, you know, how people feel when they go away from you is incredibly important, isn't it? And if we have their eyes for others, how do they feel when they leave your presence or my presence? Do they feel, oh, you were great? Or do they feel, actually, I feel better. I feel encouraged and lifted up. That's when we've got eyes for other people. And... Um, Paul talks uh, in, in the rest of the chapter, he mentions a couple of other guys uh, and in verse 19 to 22, he mentions Timothy. And Timothy was, was this guy that was always with Paul and he was happy to be second place. It's Paul and Timothy. He was happy to play the supporting role, you know, which was so good. Others refused to go to Philippi when Paul asked, you know, but, but Timothy went. Perhaps the others were like, oof, I'd love to do it, but just too busy. Just got, I haven't got, I haven't got the time. Too many box sets to watch got too much going on. But now, now I know that our world is different than then. I know that. And it's crazy and time is difficult. I know all that. I totally refute the idea that you and I don't have time. 
we have time for what we value. And we create time for what we value. Add up the amount of hours that we watch box sets, how much time that is. Then please don't say to me, and I'm one of these as well, that we haven't got time. We have. But there's an attitude of, I want to be there for others. And that's going to take some time. and It's going to take some energy. One writer said of Timothy that he was fat. And by fat, he meant faithful, available, and teachable. I love that. If you're going to be fat, be that. Faithful, available, and teachable. Humility doesn't mean you think less of yourself, but it does mean you think of yourself less. And so you know who you are. You have nothing to prove, but you have eyes and ears for other people. Number four, you're willing to do the small things. What if we were willing to do the small things, not just the big things? Max Licado, who's a writer, says, humility is happy to do what pride will not. I had this great story a couple of weeks ago. I was reading this leadership book, and it tells this story of this clerk um, of, of, a, of a small town hotel. It's not a great hotel. It's like a two-star or whatever. And this little old couple turn up one night. It's chucking it down a rain, and they turn up looking for a room. And he's at the desk there, and he says, I'm really sorry. We have no rooms. And this little old couple says, oh, we're going to have to go back out into the rain. And then the, the clerk who's managing the hotel, and he's on the desk as well, he says, hey, I'll tell you what, have my room. You don't know who they are. They're just this little old couple. He said, have my room. And they said, are you sure? He said, have my room. It's no problem. I'll sleep in the lounge. It's fine. Honestly, it's a terrible night. You have my room. So they go to his room and they have his room. And the next day when they go to check out, the guy said to him, that was so amazing what you did. The care and the way that you managed this. You ought to be managing a hotel much bigger and grander than this one. And then he went. The guy didn't hear from them for two years. And then he got a letter and within the letter, there were two plane tickets to New York City. He said, I want you to come and see us because I've got a surprise for you. And so the, the, this guy flew out to New York City and this little old guy met him and took him to just by Central Park, 5th or 34th, and he showed him the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. He said, this is the hotel I've built and I want you to manage it. The little old guy that he gave his room was Waldorf Astor, it, it, William Astor. He was the owner and the builder of one of the most famous hotels in the world. You see, that little old girl didn't know who he was. It's easy to do nice things when we know that person's important. But when you don't know who they are, and yet you give your room for them, isn't that amazing? Pride, <laughs> pride won't do that. Humility is happy to do what pride will not. Could we do some small things this week? Could, could you and I go out into the community? And even if we don't know who they are, and they may never give us any credit, and we may never get it on Instagram, and that's okay, can we be willing to do the small things? And finally, you're ready to give and serve for the sake of others. So I said about the funeral on Friday, which was, for me, coming from the Salvation Army, it was a blending of Salvation Army world and, and this world. It was very powerful to me. And one of my heroes, spiritual heroes, is William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. He said, the greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his surrender. Again, countercultural. The greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his surrender. What if, what if you and I surrendered and gave ourselves to serve others? Yes, having healthy boundaries. Yes, looking after ourselves. Yes, not getting burnt out. But what if we live like that? And then Paul mentions a final guy, and I've got to pull this guy's name out because it's amazing. His name is Epaphroditus. And this, is, this guy is really amazing. Paul sends him back to Philippi, although he wanted to be a prisoner in Rome. 
And then when he goes to Rome, he gets sick and he almost dies. And he recovers and he gets sent back. And here's the verse we're going to look at. Next verse, please, Josh. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, now that phrase, risked his life, is a really important phrase. It, it's one word that says that whole phrase in the original language, and it's the word parabolani. And it literally means it's like a gambler who risks everything on the roll of a dice. He says Epaphroditus was like a gambler who risked everything so he could serve others. And that word became so important in the early church that it became known as a brotherhood of men and women who loved God and who loved people and who would risk their own comfort and security for the sake of others. They became known as the Parabellani, not the Illuminati, that's Dan Brown, okay? The Parabellani were a group of people that risked everything for the sake of those who didn't know God, and they gave themselves. And so in AD 252, at the siege of Carthage, which was a North African city, Bishop Cyprian called the Parabellani to leave their homes and to come to Carthage, because in Carthage there was disease in the city and dead bodies were being thrown out and the diseased and the leprous and the infirm people were pushed out of the city. And the bishop said to the Parabellani, hey, we love Jesus and we love people and we're gonna give ourselves for people. And that's what they did. They became known as the Parabellani. Out of that move, centuries later, people like St. Francis and the Franciscans came out of that move. They became these humble people who lived and served for the welfare of others at risk to their own life. And out of that move, centuries later, in more recent times, a little old lady from Albania emerged whose name was Mother Teresa. She comes out of that tradition of the Parabellani, going back to Epaphroditus right here in the book of Philippians. And if you know anything about Mother Teresa, you'll know what an incredible woman she was. And let me just read something to you about the, the, from her words, how she kind of first kind of got connected to this whole thing about living for the poor and about giving her life for those who could never give her anything back in that sense, okay? This is what she says. One day in a heap of rubbish, I found a woman who was half dead. Her body had been bitten by rats and ants. I took her to a hospital, but they told me they didn't want her because they couldn't do anything for her. I protested and said I wouldn't leave unless they hospitalized her. They had a long meeting and finally granted my request. That woman was saved. Afterwards, when thanking me for what I had done for her, she said, and to think it was my son who threw me into the garbage. Wow. And so she gives herself the parabellani. She risked her own comfort and security and health. She poured out herself because she had received from her Saviour. And she wrote famously, I am just a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. Martin Luther King said everyone can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Huh. What if? What if you and I this week could head out into the world and look for others instead of ourselves? What about if we asked questions instead of wanting others to ask us. What about, in the words of St. Francis, we, we sought not to be understood, but to understand. What about if we could enter into someone else's world rather than invite them to enter into ours? What if we could risk stuff 
to help others, even if they never thanked us, never gave us anything back, and nobody ever knew about it. What if? Maybe we could shine like stars in the universe. Maybe we could bring glory to God. Maybe we would then become the hands and the feet and the body of Christ on the earth. I want to invite the band if they could come back up. What about you today? I, I, I want to, as I've been thinking and praying for you this morning, I think, you know, I believe the Holy Spirit said to me, some of the guys today will be wary about this. <laughs> that was the word that God gave me. You'll be wary and you're wary because of the past, because of the past experience. You got burnt out. You got hurt. You got, here's the word, used. Used. Maybe you got abused in the process of helping him, and you're wary because of that. Listen, just because it's gone wrong in the past, don't let God, don't let that stop you. We can learn from that and we can grow in that, but don't be chained back to that bad experience. So maybe some of you are worried. Some of you are worried. You're worried because of the future. What if? One of the things I love about mission trips, overseas mission trips, everybody who goes on a trip for the first time is worried. And they always say, ooh. I say, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. And they always are. And because you know God goes ahead of them. So if you're worried about giving yourself to others, you're worried about how you'll be received, don't worry because God goes ahead of you. But then here's the one that I really felt the Holy Spirit say to him. But some of you are weary. Some of you are weary because you've been pouring out to other people for so long. Maybe within your family. Maybe at work, maybe in church, maybe in the community, and you're weary. But the Bible says, Paul says in another book of the Bible, don't be weary in doing good, for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. So what I want to do this morning is I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to invite you, all of you, all of us, to respond to that this morning. So maybe we just close our eyes for a moment, and, 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 and if you identify with any of that, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm just going to ask you to receive it right where you are. Maybe you are wary this morning. M maybe you're just a little bit like, hey, I've been used. <laughs> Somebody came to me after the first service and said, you know, it's interesting about that used. We will always get used. Your choice is who do you want to be used by? Because if you want to be used by God, then you may be misused or abused by others. But if you don't, then you will be used by the world. You just will. So maybe some of you are wary this morning. Maybe some of you are worried, but maybe some of you are weary. Could God come and restore us again this morning? Could, could God come and breathe life again into us? Could, could God come again and say, hey, it's okay, I'm going to go with you. You're not going to do this thing on your own. I'm going to go with you. You've got to do something. You've got to choose to step into this. You've got to choose to activate that attitude of humility. And, and that means thinking of others. And that means reaching out. And that means maybe getting out of your comfort zone. That means looking at where some of those rubbish dumps of humanity are that maybe you could step into and help. And you may never get any credit. You may never get a book out of it or even an Instagram post. But it's okay because it will be recorded where it really matters, which is in heaven. So God, would you come and would you fill us with hope and would you fill us with your love, I pray. Because God, we will only change the world with the love of Christ. So God, would you help us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to ask you to stand with me, guys. Is that okay? And I'm going to do something a little bit different. Okay, a little bit tactile, 
a little bit out there maybe for some of you logic thinkers, but I want you just to, if you can, uh, just hold your hands as fists like this, okay? There's something about our posture, there's something about our physical self which we need to engage in. And so what I'm gonna ask in a moment is I'm gonna ask us, we need to release something. Okay, we need, to, we need to release the need to control. We need the release, to, to release stuff that we're holding on to. We need to let go of us needing to be in the centre of our world. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you just to open your hands like that and just release. Okay, do you want to just practice that with me? But as well as opening your hands, it's important that we surrender. So as well as hands open, we need to put hands up. So can we practice that? As a sign of surrender. And that feels a little bit awkward. And we're checking if our shirt is up a little too high. And a little bit embarrassed maybe. But we're just saying, some of you are going like that now. We're just surrendering to God and saying, God, it's not about me, it's about you. But God doesn't want us to stop at surrender. God wants us to put our hands out. So that we say, Lord, use me. Use me. So can we do that? So why don't we clench our fists. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to respond with me as I respond to God as well today. Father, Jesus, we want to thank you for so much that you've given into our lives, that we hold in our lives now. But Lord, we don't want to hold on to what you've given us. So Lord, now in this place, we open our hands and we want to release the need to control and we want to open our lives to you and to others. Now, Lord, we want to put our hands up because we want to surrender. We want to say, Lord, it's no longer me. It's no longer my life. It's yours. Here I am. Put me to what you will. Put me to one side. Lift me up. Put me down. Doesn't matter. It's up to you. My hands are up. I surrender. I give up. (laughs) Not give up you, but I give up the right and the need to control. And I give up. And now, Lord, as my hands are up, Like Isaiah that said, here am I, send me. Now, Lord, I want to put my hands out. And I want to say, Jesus, would you use me? Would you use me this week to be your hands and feet, to put others in front of myself and to bless others for the sake of you? And so, Lord, in response to what you've done for me, I want to say today, were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all.